0: Okay, um, probably the last time I'll say this. We have a few small groups, even triads, that are among their discussions. Maybe they're going through the Old Testament, or but they're they're talking through the sermon some, a little bit, doing some review. And if that is you, just want to let you know that every every morning, Sunday, there's going to be the sheet for the small groups. If you want to have that for a discussion guide, it's the green one that's back there today. Also, just to let you know, because I'm not going to say this after this week, if you are a note taker. I'm going to have notes the whole time we're going through the series, and they're always going to be on that table when you come in. Um, so if, if you want to do that, if you're a note kind of person, grab one of those. If there's anybody, anybody that needs one for service, there were just a couple. But if you need one, raise your hand, and I'm sure we can get somebody. I see a couple, three. I see three, maybe four. If you could just raise your hand up, a few around here. And if you guys could, could help with those, I would appreciate that. So um, as Brent does that, thank you, Brent your service, Um, as he does that, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and put your finger there because we're going to be coming to this um, in a little bit towards the end of the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, Um, put your finger, we're not going to start there, and say just a couple things, number one, um, about the Chiefs, Um, wasn't that a crazy game last week? Got a phone call on Monday that Andy Reid acknowledging that I was the sole reason that they won that game. The fact that I wore that uniform, he is paying me a handsome price to win that every week all the way through the Super Bowl, but I told him that my identity is not tied to the Chiefs, so I'm not going to go there. So, no, I didn't have Andy, but I actually had several of you who texted me or called me this week and said, could you please wear that every week through the Super Bowl? Like Tyreek had an amazing game last week, right? And I had a Tyreek Hill jersey on. Um, so, anyways, but I did wear red for all the Chiefs fans today. And thankfully, the game's at two, so no, you... Nobody has to rush out of the service. You have time to go home, go eat somewhere, and go watch the game. And one other thing, we Jordan and I have been, for for quite a while, we've been recording most every Monday after most sermons. We'll do like a 12, 13-minute talk through over the sermon, getting into some different areas of it, asking questions. Um, and this week, that thing made it on Spotify, I just found out. And so if you listen to that, or if you're wanting to, I had somebody a couple weeks ago wanting to know where to find it. Um, if you get on Spotify, you can find it. I didn't ask. My guess is if you type in 12th Avenue on Spotify, that's, uh, that's where it would be. So quick summary from last week, if you don't mind. Last week, we talked about the three counterfeit sources of identity, places that people look for their identity that are counterfeits and will never give you a meaningful idea. Can you, can you help me with those? what those three were? So one was I am what, what I do, and I am... What I have and I am, yeah, what people say or think about me. And we talked about the fact that how shakable that is, how that is not a stable place to put your identity. You can lose it at any moment. It will never satisfy you. You were designed. You have this place in your heart that only the creator can fill. And so we kind of ended that. I was talking about that what we desperately need is an identity that is durable, that's going to last. It's going to be there. It is holistic, that it encompasses all of me. Instead just one part of me, and that is life-proof, that can handle all the challenges and ups and downs of life. Um, Evan Morris actually made uh, a video, kind of summary of last week, and it's really, really good, and I'd like you guys to, to see that. We live in an age of identity. We all struggle in some way with our sense of identity. What is the thing you most need in life, the thing you're most longing for? a lot of people are struggling with an identity crisis a lot of people in our culture even some of us are desperately trying to prove that we're important, that we value and that we matter. It has been said of us that we are living for likes, but we are longing for love. Three counterfeit sources of identity. Achievements, acclaim, assets When this is my core identity, I confuse achievements. I confuse achievements with my identity. I feel that I have worth because of what I do. Status. Success. When you live for your identity out of your achievement, and you stop doing it for the glory of God, and you use what you do to try to fill the void in your life that only God can fill And in this one, I confuse acclaim for my identity. I feel that I have worth because of people's opinions about me. You know, when you live for people's approval, you start becoming an approval junkie. Your relationships really quit being about loving and serving people, and it becomes about using them to get the acclaim and the approval that you actually need to have a stable identity. So people become something that we use and then what happens is is I take that need for approval to be smiled upon And I try to fill the void in my life that only God can fill This one I confuse assets with my identity I feel I have worth because of what I have Now it can be possessions, but it could be other things A car Yep, so we could take material possessions a car a house a second house a cabin in Colorado, whatever relationships that's so easy for your spouse it is so easy for your children become your identity because you have this amazing thing and I use what I have to fill the void that only God can fill now I want you to know when you're striving to build your foundational identity on those three things your whole life becomes about performing possessing protecting and pleasing self-justification validation And I want to tell you that is not a good place to live doesn't work. And I think a corollary is this, if you build your identity on the wrong thing, you will live your life for the wrong things. Didn't Evan do a really good job? Can we like... (laughs) All right, before I get to today's topic and try to answer the question, then what should I build my identity on? If it's not, I am what I do. If it's not, I am what I have. If it's not, I am what people say or think about me, then what is my identity to be built on? Two random things, if you don't mind. First, the concept of idolatry. I did a series on this like two, a little over two years ago, really core to me that in the scripture, I think the primary way the Bible talks about sin is idolatry. It's relational. It's about things that I love and worship more than God, that I take a good thing, like my family or my work, and I elevate that to the level that it becomes the ultimate thing. So when we talk about like, you know, I am what I do, what I have, what people say about me, like that do, maybe my work is the thing that's my idol, or what I have, maybe it's my, uh, my children is my idol, right? That, that I had those big categories, but I, I want to challenge all of us to drill down and ask the question, what is it in what I have? What is it in what I do? where, where What's the thing that tends to capture my heart and my love and get elevated above God? And the reason that's so important is whatever is your idol, the thing that you most worship, you will tie your identity to that thing. That will become the way you identify yourself. And as I said last week, when you lose an idol, you lose your identity because you've tied it to that. And so I really um, encourage you to think about, as we talk about identity crisis, to, to if you were here in that series, to go back and even ask that question: What what tend to be the things I love more than God? What what are my idols? And specifically, I want to encourage you to think in three areas, because I think the three areas that are so easy for us to tie our identity into worship are our roles, our responsibilities, but especially our relationships. And even ask the question, like, what are the roles, what are the responsibilities in my life? Am I elevating those above God, because those generally are what I do or what I have? What are the relationships? That could be what I have, that could be what people say or think about me. So really encourage you to think about that whole concept of idolatry because it is, to me, they're really tied together. The other kind of random thing before we launch is another principle, similar to one I said last week, that I think is important, that I really do believe that you need to know who you are before you know what to do. You really do need to know who you are before you know what to do because what you do flows out of who you are. So I think it's critical, that's why we're doing this series, critical that we come to the point of having a solid identity and knowing who we are. Okay, so on to this morning. Um, when it comes to identity, here's what I want us to see this morning, that I think many of us who follow to Jesus are looking for something that we already possess, that many of us are looking for something when we're looking for identity that we already possess for those that follow Jesus. Um, it, it's just like The Wizard of Oz, um, that great classic movie that's centered in Kansas, right? Um, because Dorothy, at the beginning of the movie, when she's in Kansas, she's on this search trying to find the most important things in life. And she doesn't think she has them where she's at, right? And ends up, you know, leaves the house, the storm comes, ends up in Oz. And by the end of the movie, what she finds out is, is the things, when she was looking for the most important things in life, she realizes that she actually had those things back in Kansas. And that she actually possessed, had possessed for a long time the very things she was looking for. I mean, think of the scarecrow, the tin man, and the lion, They they were all looking for something that they didn't think they have Uh, brains a heart and courage and realized they realized at the end of the Oz journey that they possessed already possessed the thing they were looking for and I think that that's true of a lot of us Um, or even if we even if we know what we possess I think it's easy to forget it and so that's kind of that's just something I think to think about so this morning I just want to tell you I am not what I do. I am not what I have. I am not what people say or think about me. The core of my identity, if I follow Jesus, is this. I am whose I am. I am whose I am. That is the core of my identity and i'm not going to go into all the reasons why but ultimately we are built relationally and the most important things to us are relationships if i had time i could demonstrate why i'm convinced of that i think most of us know that so whoever this is that we center identity it's got to it's got to be a person it has to be a person and if my identity is going to be durable and holistic And it's going to be life-proof. It has got to be a person who never changes, who is unchanging, who is totally stable. That None of those F words I used last week are true. Whoever that person is, they can't be finite or flimsy or fallible, right? They've got to be stable and unchanging. Someone has said of the younger generation, but I think it's true of all of us, that they long to be loved, but they fear being known. I think we all feel that way to agree. We all love to be, we want to be loved, but we fear to be known. Because we're afraid if we're known, we won't be loved, right? And so this identity, it has to be somebody who fully knows me and yet accepts me unconditionally with all that knowledge, knowing exactly who I am. That's who that person has to be. And I think even above that, it has to be a person who has demonstrated that unconditional love by actually being willing to give their life for me, even though I was living against them and was their enemy. That's the only kind of person I can build an identity on. And what would be really awesome is if that person was the one who designed and created me and who knows me inside out and who knows my life intent and how they've created me. To me, that would be ideal. So, uh, in other words, somebody that I can fully trust. And my guess is is probably you know who I'm talking about. Who do you think that person is, that whose I am that I need to base my identity on? Who would you say? Yeah, Jesus, God, right? I mean, we're in church, right? So if I said... uh, what lives in trees and is brown and has fur and eats nuts the answer in church is always Jesus right uh, even though we know it's a squirrel yes that is God I am whose I am in other words I am his that is the core of a stable identity so look at First Peter if you've got it marked or you still have your finger First Peter chapter 2 he actually writes about this idea of, of having my identity he doesn't talk about identity but, but this reality that I am whose I am And I'm going to try to just kind of, as I read verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2, there's just a few key words that relate to that or phrases. So he says this, you are, you're a chosen people. You're chosen. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. His special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. I am who, uh, whose I am. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I am whose I am. That's the only place to ground my identity. And if you remember last week, we talked about that Jesus did that. Jesus grounded his identity in his relationship to the Father. At his baptism, before he ever did any of his public ministry, at his public baptism, the Father speaks out, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You are the one in whom I delight. And we talked about how then from there he was sent immediately into the temptation by Satan who tempted him at the point of his identity, but Jesus stood firm because Jesus lived on an identity he had received from the Father and his relationship to the Father. He stood on that instead of an achieved identity, which is what most of us live for. And so it's the same for us. We need to live with an identity that is received from the Father and not achieved by us. We all desperately need an identity that is received. One that's assigned, not achieved. An identity that is bestowed, that's not bought, that's given and not gained. An identity that is received from God and not achieved by me. We all need that. So I want to tell you, the only durable, the only holistic, the only... Life-proof identity you can have is one that's based upon a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is the only place to have that solid identity. That's the only place to have that to base your foundational identity like who am I and am I valuable. And I'm going to hit that I'm valuable next week. And today I really want to talk about who am I. If I'm in this relationship with God, if I am whose I am, what does that say about who I am? And so I'm going to kind of do a a New Testament, I'm going to fly over the New Testament. Um, I just want you to listen. I'm going to hit some scripture but I am going to try to summarize what does it mean to be in relationship with God, to be I am whose I am, specifically. I just want to dig down into what's that look like. So, individually, when I committed my life to Jesus, I was saved and forgiven my sin. I was rescued by him, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done for me. Colossians 1, 13 to 14 says, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son whom he loves, in whom we have the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. But more than being saved from my sin, we are told that when I accept Jesus, that I actually become his child. In John 1, 12, he says this, to all who welcome him to receive Jesus. In other words, they believe in his name. To them, he gives the right to become the children of God. So I'm not only saved and forgiven, but I actually become I become his child. Next week, we'll talk about the idea that I become adopted into his family. But it goes more than that. He just says, okay, now you're my child. There's more that happens. That um, I am actually, we're told, at the point of receiving Jesus, I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit literally comes and lives inside of me. Can you imagine the reality of that? He literally comes inside of me. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you've received from the Lord? You are not your own. So the Holy Spirit literally comes inside of me. In the words of Ezekiel, it says, He gives you a new heart. He gave me a new heart. Um, He changes my nature. He fundamentally changes who I am inside. So when I put my faith in Jesus, I'm not only saved and rescued by him and become his child, he puts his Holy Spirit in me. But by putting his Spirit in me, he does something really wild, which 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about, 5.17, where he says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So I am, my identity, when I am whose I am, when it's in Jesus, I am literally a new creation. I'm not the person I was. I become a new, a new person. A profound change happens in my fundamental identity, in the core of who I am. I become a new creation. Something new has happened in me when I received him, and something is happening within me. And there's a really important biblical phrase that talks about this new creation, what it means, and it's the phrase, in him. So I'm a new creation, and it's this, in him. 216 times that phrase is used, of people who follow Jesus. Jesus. 216 in him in him in him philippians 3 9 is just one example of that where it says we are found in him so my primary identity now as a new creation is in him that is my identity and it's a mystery and i don't understand it but the scripture talks about that when i come to jesus i'm actually incorporated in some way in his death and in his resurrection that i literally take on the identity of jesus that something radically, profoundly happens to me when I come to him. That the most foundational, fundamental thing of who I am and what defines me is my relationship to Jesus and my being in Jesus, my being in him. And that's why Paul says in Colossians 3.3, he says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That my life is now hidden with Christ in God. And in verse 4 of Colossians 3, he says, he, he goes on and says, Christ, who is your life, he now becomes my life. And that's why in Galatians 2.20, Paul talks about, now that I'm a new creation and I'm in him and his Holy Spirit's in me, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but yet not I. Christ lives within me. And the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. That Paul so lived into that identity. And Ephesians 2.6 says this really amazing thing, that I, I, I become a new creation, I'm in him, and it says that God literally raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I don't even understand that, but there's a sense that I've been raised up and I'm seated in heavenly realms. And I'm no longer, I mean, God sees me in a totally different way now. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And when he looks at me, this is what God says about me, my primary identity is now saint no longer sinner, saint becomes my identity. I am not defined any longer when I'm in him by my past, my mistakes, my sins, my failures. I'm not defined that way. I'm defined by being in him. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we all are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is Christ, who is the Spirit. And so day by day, gradually, the Spirit who is in me Me being in Christ as a new creation, he is slowly transforming me more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And that's just what's going on with me individually, okay? That's what it means to be I am whose I am individually. But there's more. I am not just incorporated in him, but I'm incorporated in a a community the scripture talks about. I'm just going to hit kind of three aspects. I become something larger than myself. It isn't just about me and God. Something larger than myself. In Ephesians 2.19, he says, you're no longer foreigners, but fellow citizens with God's people. And I love Hebrews 12.28, which says, we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. I am now a citizen of the unshakable kingdom of God. The world around me may shake. His kingdom will never shake. And I'm a citizen of that kingdom. And we're also part of the family of God, new family. In Ephesians 2.19, he says, you're no longer strangers, but you're members of his household. Not only am I part of his family, I'm part of his body. In some, some way, I don't even understand. We are the body of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 12.27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We've all been given unique spiritual gifts to serve this body and to be part of his mission to reach all nations with the good news of Jesus, that we all would be a part of the mission of, with him of restoring all things back to him. So individually, when, when I am whose I am, when I'm in Jesus, like individually I'm radically changed. Corporate, I'm part of this corporate thing that's much larger than myself that's amazing. But also, my future is secure. I want you to know if you are, if I am whose I am, if I am in Jesus, your future is secure. This is not only about who I am, but it's also about where I'm going. And as his child, I am given eternal life John three sixteen. God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. So I've been given eternal life in him. Not only that, I've been made an heir and I'm waiting an eternal inheritance in the future. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, 17, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And First Peter 1, 4 says of that inheritance, it is an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So I have eternal life, I become an heir. I'm actually sealed into that, to where that, that being an heir can never be taken with from me. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, Paul says, When you believed, you were marked in him, marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So I'm sealed in that. That inheritance is guaranteed. And moreover, in Romans eight twenty nine, Paul talks about our future glorification, he calls us. Well, I will be totally transformed and be set free from sin. And in Colossians 3, 4, he says, when Christ, who is your life, when he appears, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I'm guaranteed to be with him forever in glory. And here's what's really cool. I not only appear with him in his glory, but this is something I love about Jesus. In Romans 8, 17, actually, this is a lot in the New Testament. This year, this theme kept popping out at me as we read through the New Testament. In Romans 8, 17 and 18, it says, now if we are children, then we are heirs in order that we may also share in his glory. He will share his glory with us through all of eternity. I'm not only gonna be in his glory, he's gonna share that with me. And as Jordan and I talked, I'll be raised, we'll be raised bodily to new life put our feet set on this new creation where we will live with him forever and ever where Revelation 21 3 says we will be his people and God himself will be with us and he'll be our God and we'll not only live with him Revelation in multiple places says that we have been made a kingdom of priests and we will reign with him on earth forever and ever we will reign with him wow wow I hope, I don't know, <laughs> my fear is like that I go through all that and everybody just keep kind of like, you know, huh, right? Wow, can you imagine? I mean, I am saved. Um, I become his child. He puts his Holy Spirit inside of me. He actually makes me a new creation. I, I am, my identity is now in him. That is who I am and my foundational identity, and he is, he is transforming me by his Holy Spirit um, I'm, part of this, um, I'm part of his kingdom that's unshakable. I'm part of a family. I'm part of a body. And my whole future is secured. Is it not amazing to find, to find my identity? Not in I am what I do or I am what I have or I am what people say or think about me, but I am whose I am. Is that not a great place to be? To have my identity rooted in Jesus Christ and in God the Father and in the Holy Spirit. And in all those verses I just referenced, the truth contained in them, To me, Revelation 3.14 speaks about it. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. These words are all true. This is what God says about you. This isn't what I say about you. This is what God says about you. And I want you to know, if you're in Jesus, what I just shared, that is the deepest, most true thing about you. Those things are the deepest, truest things about you and who you are. And his word is the final authority and the final arbiter on my identity, period, period period. His word is the final authority on that. The question of my identity as a follower of Jesus is settled. And I want you to know you are who God says you are, and he gets the final vote. Nobody else. Our culture doesn't get the final vote on who you are. Your friends or what other people say about you, that doesn't get you the final vote. What you do, doesn't, that's not the final vote. What you have, that's not the final vote. What Satan says about you is not the final vote not even what you think about yourself, the final vote on who I am comes from God the Father through his Son and through the Spirit. I am whose I am. Is that not profound and powerful? Is that not profound and powerful? James Bryan Smith, um, who's written a lot of good stuff, came up with four statements that, that I love and to me summarize essentially my identity in Jesus. And In a couple of his books, he asks the questions that all of us ask. Every human being wants to know, who am I, what am I, where am I, and where am I going? I mean, these are questions every human being asks. And to those four things, uh, he provides four answers. That's probably too small for you to read, so don't even try. Here's what he says. So who am I? I am a child of God, one in whom he delights. That's, That's the who am I. What am I? I am the temple of the living God. I am one whom God literally lives and dwells. Can you imagine that? You are a walking temple of God if you are in Jesus. And the third question, where am I? That was the, yeah, the where am I is this. I am a citizen of God's unshakable kingdom. That's where I am. And then the question, where am I going, is this. I am destined for eternal glory with Jesus. That's where I'm going. So I am a child of God. That's who I am. One in whom he delights I am the temple of God in whom the Spirit of God dwells. I am a citizen of his unshakable kingdom, and I am destined for eternal glory with him. Can we, like, say amen to that stuff? Amen. Because amen. Amen, amen just means that's the truth, right? Could we just go, that's the truth? Like, that's the truth. Samuel, man, that's a great, that's the truth. I love your shirt. Just Jesus. Good day to, re- to wear that. So that's, that's what the Scripture says about us. I am whose I am. There's no better place to have your identity Remember last week I talked about this, these, this significant security being smiled upon, that these are genuine needs that God's built into all of us. They're legitimate. But as also I said last week, when you make those things the basis of your identity, that's when your identity becomes what you do, what you have, or what people say or think about you. And that when you do that, when you live that way, that's when you're on the throne of your life, that's when you're at the center of everything. And I said last week, when you live that way, it is inevitable You'll never do enough, so you're going to have guilt. You're never going to have enough, so there's going to be fear. You'll never be loved enough by people, so you're going to carry shame. And so what about when I find, put God at the center of my identity, that I am whose I am? I want you to know that is the only place you'll find, you'll find satisfaction and sufficiency. It's only in Him. Because only God has done enough, only He has enough, and only He loves me unconditionally enough. Only in him will I find satisfaction. So what I do is I choose, yeah, only find satisfaction sufficiency in him. So I choose, I don't know if you can see that, but I choose to put him at the center of my life instead of me. I choose instead of having my identity and what I do, what I have or what people say or think about me, my identity is who I am whose I am. So I put him at the center of my life. I live under a received identity, received by him, received by what he says about me and who I am. An identity that flows from him being on the throne of my life rather than me being on the throne of life, my life, and I'm trying to achieve an identity. And I want to tell you, when we talk about identity, this throne thing is really important. When we talk about identity, what we're talking about is really the ultimate game of thrones. It's the ultimate game of thrones. It really is about who's on the throne of your life. You're finding your identity in what you do or have or what people say. You're the one in charge of your life. You're trying to achieve an identity. But if God sits at the throne of my life, I can have a received identity from him as his beloved child. So here's what I want to know this morning. Who's reigning supreme in your heart and life right now? Is it God? Or is it you? Who's reigning supreme, literally, in your daily life right now? Who's on the throne? I also want to know, who's the source of your identity? And I don't mean intellectually. Uh, In your life right now, if somebody walked around and watched you for a week, really, who is the source of your identity? Is it you achieving it through the three counterfeit sources? Or are you walking in the received identity from the Father? And here's what I love, when I find, when I allow God to be at the center, when he's on the throne, when I find him to be all sufficient and all satisfying, then he replaces that I am what I do and all the guilt that comes about that and I don't have to prove myself and perform anymore and he takes the guilt that comes with achieved identity and he gives me joy. He replaces my guilt with joy. And then I don't have to worry about what I have anymore, whether it's possessions, whether it's, you know, a relationship or whatever. I don't find my security anymore in what I have, which automatically leads to fear. But as I put him at the center, that fear gradually becomes replaced with trust because he's all sufficient and he'll take care of me. I know that. And when I put him at the center, rather than being smiled upon by other people being my identity, when I live... When I live out of my identity, my relationship with him, I don't constantly need to strive for other people's approval. So I start that, the shame starts losing its grip on me and I start having a deeper sense of his love. So when God is at the center of my identity, that guilt, fear, and shame slowly fade away to where there's more joy, more trust, and more love. You see why having Jesus as the core of your identity is so important? It is so important. It is so important. Only in him will I find the peace, the shalom, the lasting satisfaction that I so hunger for. Man, don't you just love the good news of Jesus? That's the good news of Jesus. Don't you just love that good news? Because it puts all of my soul striving to bed. When my identity is centered to him, when he's on the throne of my life, I don't have to anymore, I don't have to be performing to get my identity. I don't have to be protecting things to keep my identity. I don't have to be promoting myself to get people to like me. I can rest totally secure that my identity is in him. And I have nothing left to prove to myself or to anybody else. I know we don't all live there. I don't always live there. But when you live there, is that not a great thing? So here's my big question. Here's my big question. Excuse me. My big question is this. Do you find your identity? And again, I don't mean intellectually. I want to know really right now in the way you're living your life. Do you find your identity in who you are or in whose you are? How would you answer that? In the reality of your life, again, not what you think, but I want to know what you trust and what you do. Where's your identity based? Is it in who you, who you are, or whose you are? Think about that for a minute. If you're like me, you might answer that this week different than you asked it a week ago or a month ago, right? I mean, that's the reality of living in a fallen world. You know, I mean, I've talked about the fact last week, our culture is just desperately striving for a self-constructed reality that I cobble together on my own. And I want to tell you, at the end of the day, most people who do that, who live for that achieve, they never really know who they are. They never know who they are. That our culture's search for identity is leading us nowhere. It's leading us nowhere. And all it leads to is a life of no satisfaction, no security at all, with a life of guilt, fear, and shame. That's what the big I identity does, which is what our culture is living for, the big I identity. It's focused on me. The only place you'll ever find deep and lasting satisfaction is in him with God at the center of your life. That's the only place you'll find him to be sufficient satisfaction, that you'll find the joy, the trust, the love that you so desperately need. That's the only place to build a strong, stable, coherent, life-lasting, durable, holistic, um, life-proof identity is in Jesus Christ and upon God as our Father. So that's why what we need is not the big I identity that our culture is telling us to get, but to find that little I identity where my identity is in him and not found in me. Here's my challenge out of all this. Charles Swindoll, one of my favorite authors, after I was a new believer, cut my teeth on him, um, said this statement that I found really profound. This is my challenge. He said, yeah, this. Know who you are, accept who you are, and be who you are. Know, accept, and be. And so maybe for some people this morning, you've been like Dorothy. You were, you were looking for something that you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you were building your identity on what you did, on what you had, or on what people thought of you, and you were, you were looking for an identity. You were looking for something that you already possessed. So maybe for some of you this morning, it's like, now I know more clearly that my identity is found in I am whose I am, that I am in him, that I'm a new creation in Christ, that I'm not what the culture says about me, I'm not what I think about me, I'm not what other people say about me, I'm not what Satan says about me, that what matters to me more than anything is what God says about me. And so here's my challenge. If you're like, I'm just learning this, this is new, I just want to challenge you to keep keep doing this, don't listen to the loudest voices. There's a lot of loud voices around you. Listen to the one true voice, and the one true voice is God and his word about your identity. Swindall says we need to accept who we are. There are some of us who are like, you know what, this is nothing new. You've added maybe a few words or a few thoughts. This is nothing new. I've got this up here, but in my day-to-day life, I don't have it here. I've never learned to really accept that that's who I am. And I struggle believing it. I'm like, yeah, you say that, but I don't feel it. I don't think it. Uh, This isn't very profound. We're going to get in a couple weeks more into some practical suggestions. But here's my challenge to you. If that's where you are, like I've not accepted who I am, I just want to really challenge you to choose God's vision of who you are. Quit choosing your own vision of who you are and start choosing his vision. Maybe it's every morning saying those four statements, right? Um, I am a beloved. I am God's child, one in whom he delights. I am the temple of God in whom the spirit of God dwells. I am a citizen of the unshakable kingdom of God. And I am destined for etern- to share eternally his glory with him. It's like that daily statement. This is who I am. This is who I am. I need to accept that to help get that down into our heart. And then 30 says, be who you are. Some of us know it, and some of us already accept us, but we just struggle living into it. We are doing what most of our culture is doing, which is we're living for an identity. That's what most people around us are doing, living for an identity. This is not to be us 12th, and so my challenge for us is to be who you are. Live from your identity. Live from your identity, not for it. Live from it, not for it. Let's stop giving the title deed of our hearts to the things we do, the things we have, or what people say or think about us. Let us, 12, replace our sense of self-stability with sense of God's stability. So that's my challenge as we walk out today. Next week, I wanna talk about specifically, today I was really hitting on that whole idea of foundational identity, that sense of self, like who am I? And what scripture says, if you're in Jesus, what it says about you. I want really next week to talk about that sense of worth What does the New Testament say about my value? Am I really loved fully as I am? But I want to finish with a story, if you don't mind. At the age of 18, Kelly Clark, she became the world's premier women's snowboarder. I mean, the whole world, the premier snowboarder. And after just a few years of having started, she was at the top of her game. In 2002, she won the X Games. She won the U.S. Open. She won every single major Um, Event there was and she topped it all off by winning the first gold medal at the 2002 salt lake city olympic games She had it all she had everything But after that 2002 even though she continued to pile up wins and continue to be the premier women's snowboarder She started to want to give up snowboarding And here's what she said I'd accomplished everything that was in my heart to do. I had money I had fame I had an Olympic gold medal I had won every major snowboarding event it was the first event of the season in 24 and I was at the end of it all I was just done because I didn't know who I really was I didn't know who I was the beginning of that 2004 season she found herself at a snowboarding event she finished her initial runs at the top ready for the finals the next day just like everybody else And if she was at the end of the half pipe where a lot of the the people had finished their runs where another girl came down and fell for the second time and so was not gonna make the finals and she was um, in a heap at the end of the the half pipe just weeping. And a friend came up to her. She said, hey, it's all right. God still loves you. And here's what she said. Kelly, she heard that. She said there was just something about that comment that caught my attention. I couldn't shake it. It stirred something up in me. So I ran back to my hotel room, and I thought, there's got to be a Bible in the hotel room. There are always Bibles in the hotel room, right? And thanks to the Gideons who do that. We have several Gideons here at 12th, and there was one in her room. As I started looking at the Bible, I realized I didn't know where to look or where to start. So I searched, and I found out that the girl who made that comment was staying in my hotel. I knocked on her door, and she answered. And I said, hey, I'm Kelly? I think you might be a Christian. I want to know who God is. Isn't that powerful? She said, I'd never thought about God before a day in my life. I'd never once wondered why we were here. Never thought about him. Never been to church. Nothing. Nothing. She spent four months reading the Bible, in Bible study, and eventually came to the point that she became convinced that Jesus was her Lord and her Savior, and she gave herself to him. Here's what she said after she had accepted Jesus. She said, it's so easy to get wrapped up in what you do and find your self-worth in it. I was finding that the only way I knew who I was was Kelly Clark, pro-snowboarder. She now rides with a large, large Jesus sticker on her snowboard. She's probably retired by now. That's been quite a long time. But she rode from then on with this Jesus sticker. And here's what she said. My coming to Jesus was a huge turning point in my life At the end of the day, I'm not getting my self-worth from how I do in contests. Snowboarding became this thing that I was made to do after I knew Jesus. I could actually enjoy it. There was so much freedom in it because I wasn't doing it to prove to people who I was because through my relationship with God, I learned who I was. That she began to learn I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what people say or think about me. I am whose I am, and there is no greater freedom than to be there. So I want you to stand with me. We want to end with some worship. Two really awesome songs. One in particular, the last one I love because it's all about where am I going to build my identity. But before we do that first song and before they start, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul wrote some significant things that I think relate to identity and how his identity shifted. And here's what he said. Chapter 3, verse 7 of Philippians. Whatever were gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. Everything is a loss for that. I consider them all garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's the words of Paul so
1: As Garen was talking about being anchored, um, it reminded me of this imagery um, that was shared with us that was powerful for me when we were coming back from overseas. Um, That those things, the roles, the responsibilities, the relationships that we have in our life, they're like balloons. And if you think of balloons, they're very temporary, fragile even, finite, definitely. And that those are hooked to our anchor of who we are in Christ, that we are a child of God. that that never changes. So even if all those other things, like for me, wife, mother, student, um, all those things that could change at different points in my life those are the balloons but those things don't matter they can come and go they're still a part of me but they can come and go and I'm still anchored in who he is so let's let's sing about that who he is that he is infinite and that gives us so much security we can build on that foundation
0: God's people said to that, amen, all right, I'm not what I do, I'm not what I have, I'm not what people say or think about me, I am, say I am, I am whose I am. So let's build our life on that firm foundation and take that love to those around me, that was the prayer. So 12th Avenue, people in this culture so desperately need to see people grounded in their identity in Jesus. So let us go this week and live in that reality so that people will be drawn to him. So 12th, you are sent.